You're listening to a sermon on the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Hang around after the message for more information about Mission Ridge Church. Sermon notes for this message or any of our other messages can be found through our website, missionridge.church. Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us today. All right, week three of Advent. Yee-haw. This week we are considering what it means to journey. We got that from the reading that Eric did a great job with there. Uh, the interesting thing about the, that I'm, I'm realizing as we're going through Advent here is that all of these kind of different Advent themes that we've used all really line up really well with the traditional ones of hope, peace, joy, and we'll see if next week lines up still. Spoiler alert, it kind of does. Um, so I just kind of find it interesting how the, the old theme also turned out to line up with the, uh, with the new themes that were, we're like, Hey, those are kind of cool. Let's use those this year to get a different perspective. It's more of the same perspective, just maybe a slightly different angle. So it's kind of fun. But back when we were brainstorming for this series of sermons, I hadn't really given much thought to where I fell in the order of the sermons this year. And really, there's not a lot of ones in Advent where I'm like, that's my favorite week. And traditionally, joy might have been that, but this year, not so much. And so I realized last week when we were doing Sermon Club, oh, wait, I'm up next week. (sighs) What journeying, joy, enjoy the journey. Oh, crap. That That was my reaction. That was the the edited version of my reaction. And my, my internal monologue was real happy, real happy, real joyful, if you will. Because um, what I realized immediately was once again, God has me, I think this is probably five in a row, that God has me preaching to myself. I am the choir up here that I am preaching to. Um, and, and I was like, well, I don't want to, no, I don't want to wrestle with that all week. That's okay, God. We can, like, I, I considered being like, Rob, I, <coughs> I'm sick a week early. <laughs> like, nope, this one's yours, big guy. No, I didn't, I didn't really want it. Uh, so a little context. Normally, Logan's a really big fan of Christmas. I'm normally pretty into it. Uh, decorations and Christmas music normally start October 31st for me. Like, that's traditional. My brother puts up the tree on Halloween whether I want him to or not, he would sneak into my house and do that. And that just kind of became a thing. It was contagious. Um, I try and schedule as much Christmas music as possible. How much can you fit into December? And can we like bump it back? We'll do a pre-Advent week just so I can do Christmas songs and we'll do a post-Advent week. How can we turn Mission Ridge into a church that does epiphany has been something I've pondered for years. How do I convince Rob that we should do epiphany? just so I can do the music. Like we can sing, I saw three ships for six weeks in a row or something like that. That sounds fun. I do crazy things because Christmas was important to me. Like I would drive the, the, probably the best example. First year, I wasn't going to be home for Christmas. I had to work. I was working at Macy's and so Christmas Eve service. And then I had, I had like kind of two days off, but not really. And so I told everybody, like, I can't make it home this year. And then I was like, no, 
I'm going to make it home this year and drove home in the middle of the night and snuck in and then put myself on the couch and fell asleep at like 3 a.m. with a bow and said Merry Christmas. <laughs> and it was pretty fantastic. I was driving home in a blizzard. Maybe dumb, but crazy things for Christmas. Like, I like Christmas. Uh, but what I, I realized this year, something was kind of off. I've come to this realization. Uh, the amount of Christmas music being played in my house was way less. Like, I got like a, I, I think my playlist is 37 hours. I'm not making it through it this year. It's not happening. Um, and when I am listening to that, I'm gravitating towards like the angry Christmas music. Did you know this was a thing? Angry punk, like cynical Christmas. I have a new playlist called Black Christmas Tears. It's fantastic. It's all the things that you really shouldn't play in a department store. No decorations were going up till just this last week. Finally, between like my neighbor cajoling me into putting up lights because I was helping her put up lights, because like, that sacrificial generosity thing. But like, I didn't want to put up buying, but okay, we're going to put this up. And then, and then I was like, nope, we got to get this for the college students next week because we're going to do a Christmas party and it's going to be really depressing. I'm going to, well, really it was more of, I'm going to hear a bunch of crap from them and I just don't want to deal with that. So we need to get a tree up and we need to get lights on this thing stat because I don't want to deal with that next week when we're doing a, a mug swap, <clears throat> which is superior to the white elephant exchange, just FYI. Um, fight me. Looking forward to going home this Christmas. I, I am looking forward to going home, but even that I'm realizing like it's something's not quite right in that. So I was stoked that I get to talk about journeying and joy because like this year for myself and for a lot of us, this year's kind of been rough I can look around the room. I know the stories. It's been rough for one, two, three, multiple years. And I think we're all kind of feeling pretty tired. And I don't know if we're feeling really joyful. And so I think it's, it's probably appropriate that we're not just like, well, joy today. We're talking about journeying more so. And joy ties in with that. At least I think it does. We'll see by the end of the sermon. So joy level's pretty low, feeling pretty Grinch-like. But the thing is, like, we're not the first people to experience hard things. Think about the Hebrews in Egypt. We're reading Exodus for LTG. 400 years of slavery. That was a hard thing. I don't know if I can compare to that, really. I don't think that's necessarily healthy to play the comparison game, but I, I can't really compare to 400 years of slavery. Or 40 years walking around in the desert. People, kids born in the desert that have never known anything but wandering in the desert. Eating nothing but manna and quail. Ugh. That'd get real old real quick. Think about Mary and Joseph, like, being forced to go because of taxes of all things. Like... You know how much we love taxes. They had to go on a road trip right before she's about to give birth because of taxes by an oppressive government that they love because we love our government too, right? I feel like we can identify with this a little bit. That's not fun. I, I, I've never had a kid. So I don't, but ladies in the room, would you want to go on a road trip days before giving birth? 
where you're riding on a donkey or walking, that doesn't sound like, I, I feel like that's not enjoyable. That's not a fun journey, if you will. <clears throat> Ready for a Bible verse to make you angry? It makes me angry. We'll go to James 1, where he says this, this wonderful phrase of, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. <coughs> Ugh. Count it all joy when you face trials. Gross. Gross. I didn't want to use that. As I was working through this this week, I'm like, I don't want to use the, no, I don't want to use the, no, stop it. No, I got to use, they're all about this. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So I'm supposed to count it a joy when I meet these trials of various kinds. How am I supposed to be joyful when journeying through a desert? When you're wandering through the wilderness, how do you like, how are you supposed to be joyful in that? And I've heard a bazillion sermons about, well, well, happiness is, you know, fleeting and, and God, but the joy of the Lord, you have that. I don't know if that really helps a lot of times. Like, I don't want a pillow that just says, that fixes me, right? It, it shouldn't be embroidered. That doesn't really, I don't know, maybe it works for some people. That does not soothe my soul. It kind of just aggravates me. It makes me want to stab it. Rip the pillow to shreds. I don't like it. So I have a couple thoughts on maybe how we're supposed to be joyful when journeying through the desert. They might be good. They might be bad. I don't know. You can disagree with me. This is where, this is where I've wrestled through them to this point. The first thought is maybe the desert or the wilderness isn't that bad. That's the initial like, okay. All right, Logan, rub some dirt in it. Here's your problem. Get over it. Right? We're just going to pick ourselves up. It's not that bad. We're going to name it and claim it kind of. Like, we're just going to keep on going. We're going to say this is going to be okay. This is not that bad. The comparison game, right? I'm really good at rationalizing things. But the problem is that long-term, that doesn't work. And I know that because it's not working in the long-term. So there's a, there's, there's a freebie. Notice in that verse, though, from James, that he isn't saying to ignore the trials. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Meeting somebody, you don't ignore somebody if you meet them. Like, if you're actually walking up and shaking somebody, like, actually meeting them, if you're going to ignore them, then you probably don't meet them. He's not sugarcoating it. That's not, that's not the solution here. It's not to ignore. It's not to sugarcoat. He does suggest a perspective shift, though, uh, in how we react to those trials. And, and instead, shifting and, and seeing them as an opportunity that we can develop, that we can grow, that we can journey towards something. Now, I'm not saying that's easy, because it's not. I've, I've experienced that before, where I've, ha I've had that perspective before. I can think you know, 10, 12 years ago, 
I've, I've, I can think of memories where I had that experience. Like things were, there were hard experiences, but I like, I, they were an opportunity to grow. They were okay. I was overcoming them. It was, it was wandering through a desert, but it was good. And it was just that perspective. But for some reason, I'm struggling to find that right now. So I'm not going to tell you that it's easy to find that perspective or, or change that. But I think that's what James is saying here. That's what we're being called to do is to shift that perspective. Side note on this, if you like, this is calling us to journey towards something. And if you're not actually journeying towards something, if you're in the midst of a desert and you're not journeying towards, you're just walking around in circles or you're just stranded, right? If you're not actually moving towards these things, then I don't know if you can really expect anything to ever change. I don't think you magically get airlifted out of the desert if you're not willing to journey towards something. Now, that's probably going to suck, but you got to do it. Second thought that comes out of this, that where this kind of developed. So, so the, the idea is not, no, we're not going to just say that maybe the desert isn't that bad because the desert is bad, but maybe there's a purpose to the desert. Okay. Well, if it's hard, at least it has a purpose, Right. Uh, Sarah Bessie, who we've pulled some stuff for, for Advent from, <clears throat> she says this. I really like this. The wilderness is where we begin to set down the beautiful and terrible burdens. She's so artistic in her language. So I'll just appreciate that for a moment. Beautiful and terrible burdens we carry. We grow tired of lugging them to the new spaces of our soul. And the thing we couldn't imagine ever releasing ends up at the side of the road abandoned. She gives some examples of these and, and they're drastic. It's your opinions. It's your sin. It's your, it's your expectations. It's your brokenness. It, like all over, like whatever you're hanging on to when you go into the desert, you're going to end up dropping those things is what she's saying. And I think the, the analogy for us being in Montana and all wearing flannel today, this is perfect hiking gear. How many of you have overpacked for a hike? How many of you done it twice in a row? The exact same way? We were like, no, so you learn because you're like, I don't need 60 ounces of water in my backpack. And you know what? I didn't even need that backpack. This was a mile long hike and it was flat. That was too much. I'm hiking up the M. I don't need to carry anything or maybe hike up the M at all. <laughs> Possibly reconsider that one just completely. Gordon got an amen from Gordon on that. <clears throat> See, God uses these times where we end up in the desert to refine us. I can know it. I don't have to like it. I don't really. It's still uncomfortable. But I know it's true. Sometimes he sends us into that desert because we need it. And he's like, all right, go, go, go desert now, refine, get that. Nope. Sometimes he does that to us. Other times we put ourselves in the desert. You know, people that have done this or you've done this. We're like, I have, I have made my bed and I'm now going to sleep in it. And it's a desert. And sometimes I, I think there are some times where we just find ourselves waking up in there and I, I can't explain why we end up there and things just got really hard and they suck and you're there. 
And I don't think that God necessarily puts you there, but, but you're there. And since you're there, God's going to use that as an opportunity to refine. He's like, we're here, we're going to journey together and we're going to grow. No matter the cause, God will use those desert times to refine you. That's what you see with the Israelites. That's what you see anytime they get sent into exile when they're, when they're in slavery, they're learning and they're, they're learning that, oh, we need God. And they cry out to God when they're in the desert, they're, they're wandering through the desert and they're learning to get to know who their God is this honeymoon phase. And, and God's getting the Egypt out of them as they're wandering through the desert. Even with Mary and Joseph, I think as they're moving towards, as they're journeying towards Bethlehem, God is using bad situations, an oppressive ruling government. He's using them to set this up for the coming of his son. He's like, I can use that. First Peter says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Sound like a journey? Desert? So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Here again, we have this speaking of trials and joy comes along. That pesky little correlation that I really don't like and I've not liked all week long as it keeps slapping me in the face with those spiritual two by fours that I love so much. And, and, and he's using this imagery of gold. And anytime gold gets mentioned, I don't know, maybe it's not, maybe it's just me. But I think of that, like there, there's that refining language where they, you heat the gold in the top, the, the, the dross comes, the, the stuff that you don't want comes to the top and then you scrape it off and you're left with this purifying thing. It's a crucible that they put it in. It's hot, it's intense, it's heat. It's not a pleasant, I'm, if I was gold, I feel like that would probably be an unpleasant experience if a gold was sentient and could feel I'll leave that one alone. Rabbit trail. Uh, this is this refining process that we see. Think about the classic hero's journey, right? We love a hero's journey. Name your favorite story. And it's probably got some form of the hero's journey in it, right? This is, there's always this training montage, this refining section where Rocky goes off and lifts logs in Siberia or something, Right? because that's the best way to train. Or, or uh, Luke has to stack rocks. I feel like he got it easier than Rocky personally. But nevertheless, uh, or, or Frodo and Sam, they just have to walk a lot. Like there's this refining process of the hero's journey where, they, where they're realizing things, they're learning things, they're, they're, shape, they're being shaped. And it's usually not a comfortable place. Third thought, as I was wrestling with this stuff this week and talking with people and <clears throat> is, is, okay, so I think that there is this spark of the joy of the Lord. It's there. It's buried deep. But what do I do with that? What do I do with that? 
For a long while now, most of like all of this year, this has been a big theme. I've been wrestling with like, I've ended up, I've talked about this in counseling. I've, I've wrestled with some depression. Like there's, there's been, it's been a rough year of this stuff. And this has been a consistent theme for me to wrestle with. And I don't really have resolution yet. This is like an update of this is where it's at. We'll get part two next year, maybe. I don't know. No, I say things. But I've been wrestling with like I, I, it, the, the struggle to like, I'm not delighting in things that I like. I'm not finding delight in things. And I think that comes from the lack of like, I, I feel disconnected from joy. The joy just feels very, if it's there, it's small. And I look back on, on past days and I'm like, well, I used to be a really silly, joyful person. Like there's some terrible photos on Facebook involving houseboats. We're just like, what were you doing? And that was just silly, joyful Logan. And so I, and I've wrestled with, is that, is that, is this just a Peter Pan situation where like, well, I grew up and I got mature. And so maturity is the death of joy. Rob's like, no, you definitely didn't get mature. Okay, so that one's ruled out. <laughs> cool, cool. I'm just a depressive, like, immature person. Cool, 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 cool. Did, I, did, did the joy just get ground down by tough situations? Is it just like a, a, just a war of, like, was a war of attrition or something? Like, where you just get ground down and it's like, it's sandpaper ministry. I feel like ministry is tied to this. Like, ministry just grinds me down and it's like, well, and you're done. <laughs> I don't think that's it either. Um, I, my, my current suspicion, I, like I said, these are in process, but my, my suspicion is that this is more of a, as I've been walking through the desert, I've accidentally dropped some of that joy with the other stuff. I think that's possible. I've let that leak out. Or, or maybe even in the process of trying to hold on to this other crap that God's trying to get me to drop, I'm like, the joy's falling out of my back pocket there. I'm not holding what I should, maybe. I think that's possible. But it's still there, because I can, I can feel it. That's the, that's the, it's not like it's gone. That's the really perplexing part for me, is it, it's not gone. It's there, it's an ember. I can feel that joy. Every once in a while, it flares up. Y'all remember the whale shark? Me talking about a whale shark? Like it flares up every once in a while, and you're like, oh, that was joy. Or watching some ridiculously stupid Christmas movie where Santa's taking out mercenaries with candy canes, cackling like an idiot in the theater. Might have occurred a couple weeks ago. Once again, dark Christmas stuff. It's a weird vibe this year. It's a weird vibe. but it's still there. I can feel it. And in all reality, when I, when I've kind of processed, when I I really dug into this this week, and when when I really think about this a lot, I think that's probably in, in reality, that's what's sustaining me in ministry right now. Like that ember is still in there. God's still faithful in that. And that is keeping me going because it's, it's not really logical in a lot of ways. It kind of defies any sort of rational explanation. 
So I'm kind of left with two options with this. If, if it's there, it's, it's got this little ember. I'm left with these two options. The first one is that I just accept that it's just supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be this small little thing, and I just need to be content with that. Uh, and I just need to adjust to that new reality. That sounds kind of depressing and sucky. I don't like that one. I don't like that a lot at all. Because if that is the case, then why does it feel so wrong? And I've, I've, I've asked God that much. Like, if this is the case, why does it feel so, it doesn't, I feel discontent. It doesn't feel like I'm out of the desert. It, if, if I was out of the desert and that was the case, then I think I might be able to accept that. But it doesn't feel like I'm out of that desert. I'm not done with the journey. So the second option is I got to figure out how to grow it. Well, that's easy to say, I guess. So how do I fan that spark? Conveniently, we've been talking about this a lot lately, and Rob's been on an absolute joy kick. I gotta be honest, when he started reading that other side of church or other half of church book, and he just started talking about this every 10 seconds, it was really aggravating to me. And there was multiple times where I was just like, would he shut up, please? Enough. Enough about this book. It's a good book. I'll give you that. Uh, well done, Rob. Way to just keep rubbing it in. It's fine. But how do I fan that spark? Let's look at Romans 5. It says, Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Here's what I'm going to pull out of this passage because there's a lot you could pull out of this, but this is what I'm going to pull out today. This is what I think is applicable. We rejoice from experiencing connection with God. We rejoice from experiencing connection with God, poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. We experiencing God's love. We experience this connection. We see his face and we experience joy. Despite all those trials, in the midst of those trials even, we experience connection with God and we rejoice. And I know that's true because I can think back and I can think of those times and you can do this too. When you think back on a time where you experienced God showing up in your life, there's joy there. When I think back and I think of those times where I'm putting seaweed on my head with a bunch of dumb youth students on a houseboat, dressing up like old Greg before it was cool, coating ourselves in mud from the bottom of the Sacramento Delta, that's not good for exfoliating. That can't be healthy, possibly toxic, but by golly, we were having fun. Those sort of experience worshiping on the rooftop at sunset, watching an oil tanker go by or something. Those are moments where I'm experiencing God and I can look back and I say, there was a lot of joy there just as a dumb teenager. There's joy there. I'm experiencing God. And, and you can do that on so many, 
Like any time where you're experiencing God, you go look back and you can, you can re-experience and you can tap into that. Rob was talking about this a couple weeks ago on Sabbath of, of reprogramming and tripping your brain to you, you, you go back and you think about those experiences where you saw or you experienced God showing up in your life. And you recall that you remember that you bring that back. You experience that again. And really what it does in your brain, I'm not a neuro, like I'm not a neuro brilliant person, brain surgeon, neurologist, neurosurgeon, neuroscientist, uh, whatever, whatever my friend Kelly Hewitt is, uh, shout out to her. She dissects small animal brains for WSU. But, um, like what this does is it goes back and it, it, it rewires your brain. Like there's an actual change in your brain that occurs when you do this. If you want more on that, go read that other half a church book that Rob talks about all the time. You can steal my copy. <laughs> Another fun fact, this is part of why we worship. So when we sing songs, we use the, all the artistic things. We use pictures, graphics, et cetera, et cetera, all of the artistic stuff that people are like, oh, that's just artsy fartsy. When we utilize that stuff, it taps into emotion. Like me just talking to you does not do. It taps into emotions. It hits the feelers, some more than others, but it hits those feelers. And what that does is it, and, and, and then you pair that with the fact that we're talking about who God is and what he's done. And we're synthesizing, we're creating that experience where we can feel and experience God and remember and look back. And we're kind of creating, a, it, we're, we're kind of synthesizing this joy experience. This is part of why we worship together. And all this makes sense because joy is relational. And I hate that. I hate that because I'm feeling really introverted lately. Like that introverted side of my multifaceted everythingness. And like that's just coming out. And I just haven't been feeling very people-y. It's a technical term. But like, unfortunately, the facts don't really care about my feelings on this matter. So joy is relational. They've, the, the scientists, like the science just goes and proves it. Like you experience joy through other people's faces, specifically their eyes, and then also through their voice. That triggers joy in your brain. That's how you, that's how you experience joy. And I'm like, I want to fight that so much. I'm not sure how a whale shark does that for me. I suspect that's probably me experiencing joy with God, but... We can wrestle about that more later. But the science is like, the, the, they've proven, they've shown this. So the way you go and you fill up your gas tank of joy to use the old what's his butt from other half of church, he uses this analogy of filling up this gas tank of joy is it, you find someone who is happy to be around you. When you are around, when you spend time with somebody who is happy to see you, it triggers joy in you. Okay, so stack this on. Here's the problem. Y'all remember my sermon from a couple weeks ago where I'm talking about Sabbath and I'm like, I feel like maybe I need to include more people in my Sabbath. My Sabbath has been very solitary. Remember that? I was wrestling with that. 
This does not make that better. This does not resolve that. This does not give me an out. Why? I don't like that. Another aha realization that comes out of all of this is I've been frustrated for a long while about how it's been obnoxiously, obnoxiously hard. Like elusive is a good term for it. Um, to build a close friend group like I've had in the past. Like I, I look back on past days in Moscow, Pullman, back in high school, back in, at CSI, I've had close-knit friend groups. And here in Missoula, for whatever reason, I don't understand why, that has been elusive. That has been really hard to build that same sort of thing to experience that here. I don't know why, but it's frustrating. I've been wrestling with this for a year. No resolution. But I can just think about like, it's not 40 years in the desert. It's not 40 years yet. It's just one. It's just one. We can do this. 39 to go. Maybe not. There's no mana involved, so it's okay. We got Chick-fil-A. Hallelujah. Another aha realization uh, I kind of realized in the last couple weeks, not going home for Thanksgiving. This is fun. This is a fun one. Not going home for Thanksgiving. Set my brain fighting itself. We got that left, right side of the brain, your left side's all logical. It's all Spock, love that side. Real, real consistent over there. And you got the other side, you got the right side of the brain. I don't know what's going on over there. Feelings or something, joy, hypothetically. So not going home for Thanksgiving, it was the rational, it was the logical, it was the right choice to not do that, right, for me. And my left side was very okay. Logical, logical Logan was very okay with that. Good call. It's the right choice. I go home for two weeks at Christmas. It's a better, you get more time at home, less time driving, less time paying gas. Like, fantastic. Good choice. Right brain Logan didn't like that, I don't think. Right brain Logan didn't like that. And I think that might be why there still wasn't Christmas decorations up after Thanksgiving, which is a hanging offense normally. I still don't have my lasers up. Some of that is because I don't want to go dig in the snow. But really, was that going to stop me? I love shoveling snow. Like, that's not, you know me, that's not a really good, that's not a good excuse. That doesn't hold water. That melts. That's the thing. Now, I do want to put a caveat on this thing. This whole thing. Because as we're, as we're talking, we're going to talk about this stuff in care group this week. I'm talking about this. As we're talking about joy, I think there's, there's useful conversations to be had with people here. But it's important to remember that we don't fix. Like we have that care group rule, no fixing, no rescuing. It is important not to do that. Because for a lot of us, our reaction when people, ex- when people ex- express that they're in a desert, they're on a journey, they're, they're wandering through hard things, our, our immediate response for a lot of people is to jump in. We want to swoop in. We want to fix. We want to rescue. We want to comfort. And a lot of times that not, that's not necessarily the most helpful thing. Because what that does is it, it, it oftentimes will shut the person down. So it's important that as we are having these conversations this week, we don't do that. The most helpful conversation I had this week, actually, this is a good example of this. Uh, it was with a buddy of mine. We were having lunch, trying out some, uh, the, the Mexican moose, by the way. 
fantastic tacos in there. Sketchy, but makes it good. Uh, so we're in there and we're having lunch. We're talking, we're just talking. And I, you know, I'm, I'm talking about this because I'm preaching about it. And so therefore I'm experiencing it all week and can't get it off my brain. So I'm just telling them about this. And I'm talking about that ember bit of like, it's small and I'm discontent. And if, if I'm discontent with that, well, then why is that the case? And this, this why concept, and I'm expressing this to him. And, and his response basically was, I totally understand that. How's it? There was no fixing. There was no resolution. It was a little frustrating. I was like, well, would you fix this? Like I want him to, but really I didn't want, like it was, and I can't tell you why that was so good. I can just tell you that was really good to experience that. Moral of the story is as you're listening to people talk about this stuff this week, LTG, care group, whatever, don't fix or rescue this. The, the invitation is to join them in it, but not try to like, you can't push them. You can't like, you, you have to be down there in it with them. That's fair. That's good. You need to, you need to, Find out from them where they need you. The last thing about this is that God isn't stagnant in all of this. I think that's the important thing to remember here. As we are on a journey, we are not the only one moving. Sarah, use Sarah Bessie here again. She says this, the Christmas story is God's journey towards, towards us, towards humanity, towards the cross, re towards resurrection, towards redemption, towards renewal. She likes her R words, towards the reconciliation of all things, towards you. This is the story of Christmas. God is moving towards these things. This is the coming Messiah. God is putting things in place. And when we think about God, God is a person, like this is, this is part of who he is. Like think of the, the prodigal son, that parable, right? The son's coming down the road and the father, God, comes running out to meet him. Like both of them are moving. This one's on a journey and it's a desert. It kind of sucks. If you remember that parable, God comes out. You're not the only one moving. So you might be like me and find yourself in the midst of a rough journey through the proverbial wilderness, we can take comfort and, and maybe we can even find some joy in knowing that God is moving. Habakkuk, which is the coolest Bible book name to say, uh, three says this. Though the fig, fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the, prud the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. This is a really depressing scenario. This, this is all really kind of sucky. And the previous part of this chapter, also not good. And then at the very end, he finishes with this. He says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. None of that got resolved, but because, the, because God's there, because God's moving, because he knows that, he finds joy in that. 
he journeys through the mass with joy. Thanks for listening to the Mission Ridge Church Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and share if you enjoyed this message. We are a church focused on relational discipleship and located in Missoula, Montana. For more information about Mission Ridge, visit our website, missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. Happy holidays and Merry Christmas.